You are Locked On Utes, your daily podcast on the Utah Utes. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's a Friday edition of the Locked On Youth Podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. And just like Rebecca Black, we are here to get down on a Friday with all y'all. It's a hot and fresh edition coming straight out the Locked On Youth's kitchen. Utah's rolling up those commits. Got every fan in here wishing that basketball would get some. I don't know, maybe this is dumb, but this is the open to the show. We're going to talk a little bit more about Theo Howard, Josh Calvert, and also it is a mailbag edition of the Locked on Utes podcast where we answer all of your questions and give you the answers that you really need to life. Yes, because life is Utah and athletics and athletics of Utah is life. Thanks for hanging in here with me on a Friday edition. I promise we're going to get through this, all right? This is the Locked On Utes podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network for Friday, May 21st, 2021. Welcome back to a Friday edition of the Locked On Utes podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. My name is Brian Brown. Thank you for joining me on a fun Friday edition of the podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network, sponsored by our good friends, the Locked On Pac-12 Podcast. There's no better place to get all of your Pac-12 conference news than the Locked On Pac-12 Podcast, hosted by the legendary Cindy Robinson. Cindy was giving it to my guy Michael Luke the other day regarding his Arizona Wildcats. Michael hosts the Locked On Wildcats podcast for us. Cindy is fantastic. I'm on there with her Mondays and Wednesdays. You can follow the Locked On Pac-12 podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you, Apple, for getting with my, the program finally. It is a great Friday, my Utah friends and family. Thank you for joining me. It is a great day to be a Ute as we got two commitments announced on Thursday. Both of them Thursday night, not more than an hour apart. Perhaps the biggest one was Theo Howard, wide receiver coming to Utah from Oklahoma via UCLA, or maybe it's from UCLA via Oklahoma. Uh, I'm really good with directions, as you can tell when I'm talking here on the podcast. Howard has been on the radar for a while now. It was, uh, I don't know about when exactly he committed to the program, but the knowledge of him being a Utah commitment or being headed towards the University of Utah has kind of been under the radar for a bit now. It was a Good get for the University of Utah in, in a couple different reasons. One, he is a one-to-play one. He's immediately eligible, so he'll be coming from Oklahoma with one year to spare, and he'll be ready to play right away. He is a guy with experience both at the Pac-12 level and also one year at the Big 12. He was fairly productive when he was at UCLA. Three previous seasons there, he appeared in 32 games, made 24 starts, accumulating 119 catches, for 1,359 yards and nine touchdowns. I have no idea if that's a lot of yards or not. Feels like it is. Uh, the one thing that kind of stood out to me was just he's got some good athleticism and he catches pretty much everything that goes in his direction. Uh, when he got to uh, Oklahoma, that that's a pretty deep roster that he was playing there. 
Uh, he registered 13 receptions on 163 yards as a redshirt senior there for the Sooners, but the extra year of eligibility due to COVID allows him to come and finish at the University of Utah. So uh, what does this mean for the wide receiver group? Well, it, it's another player that you can add into the mix, an outside wide receiver who can go and make some some plays. So I, I don't know that this is a game-changing pickup by the University of Utah. I pointed out on Twitter that the reasoning for picking the Utes was pretty clear, I think. If you're a guy who – now, we should backtrack a little bit before I get too, too far down that road. At UCLA, he had an Achilles injury, tore his Achilles. That's kind of what prompted him to go to Oklahoma. And Oklahoma didn't really get the amount of – playing time and or attention that I think he anticipated or hoped he would get there. And so he's got something to prove. I think anybody who's devoted a lot of time, effort, and energy to playing football wants to showcase their talents to the maximum amount that they possibly can. And this is a situation where I think coming to Utah actually is kind of favorable to him. He's, there's probably a lot of people who don't think that he has a ton of juice left there may be some doubts about his ability after the injury. Maybe his athleticism or his speed isn't quite as good as it is. The doubts about Utah's passing game are obviously out there. But Utah has an excellent football program. You know if you come to Utah and you produce, you're likely going to get a shot at the NFL. Now, if you're a wide receiver and you come to Utah and produce in the passing game, that really can push you to the NFL. So it makes a lot of sense on his end. The other part about it, too, is this is a really good football team. You're going to come in here with a team that has a favorable schedule throughout the Pac-12 season, has a favorable opportunity to make it to the conference championship game, and also has a favorable opportunity to get to the Rose Bowl, and you're going to be able to compete and have a defense to back you up along with a strong running game to give you all the options that you really need in order to be an impact guy. So there's a lot of good reasons to come to the University of Utah. Are there legitimate concerns regarding the passing game? Perhaps, but I think those can be mitigated a lot by the fact that you're having an experienced QB, you're going to have an offensive line and a strong running game, and you're going to have a defense that is always, always, always tops in the country, and you're going up against some of the better man-to-man defensive backs on the West Coast. So it's either going to make you a better player or it's going to make you realize that you just don't have enough left to make it into the NFL. So for him, makes a lot of sense to come to Utah, give it a shot, maybe set a precedence. He mentioned in uh, some conversations with Steve Bartle uh, that he wanted to go somewhere where he could make an impact. And I think this program right now, what they're looking for, there's no better opportunity for him to do that. Howard is a good wide receiver, good athlete, uh, will be able to do a lot of fun things. Uh, I think for the offense, depending on on how they decide to line people up, etc. So, um, not a like world beating commitment. This isn't a Josh Johnson, the five star from Notre Dame type of a commitment, but this is a good way to shore up the position group to get some reliable talent and to take a a small tiny gamble with a major major return on a guy with something to prove. That's going to be a good culture guy. The other commitment the University of Utah landed was Josh Calvert, linebacker out of Washington. This one, the writing just kind of seemed like it was on the wall. Calvert's younger brother, Ethan, is going to uh, is committed to the University of Utah. 
was a four-star linebacker, one of the top linebacking recruits out of out of the West Coast. Now, some background on the Calvert family. Their father actually played at the University of Utah way back in the day, so there are strong connections to the university with the family. Uh, Ethan and Josh will be here in the fall playing together. Josh is recovering from the ACL. Ethan will be a true freshman, and so there will be an opportunity to see a Calvert and Calvert backfield, which or uh, well, a linebacking court, which I'm sure everybody is just absolutely thrilled about. Uh, Ethan's one of the best linebacker prospects I've ever seen. Um, and I don't mean that in the sense of like, oh my gosh, he's going straight to the NFL, but just the way he plays the game, he moves incredibly fluidly. He's very quick. He's very decisive. There are some things that he needs to work on. I was told that he does come in a little hot and a little high from time to time, and so he'll need to work on getting his pad level down and his tackling, but he's incredibly instinctive. He's got a great frame, and Josh is very similar to him, maybe a little bit beefier, uh, might be able to play at the line of scrimmage a little bit more. And so I think the big question on most Utah fans' minds is, what are you going to do with all these linebackers? And they'll find a way to use them. You're going to use guys differently with matchups. You might go with a little bit more of a 3-3 look on passing situations and long uh, long yardage, long distance downs, you know, second and 10-plus or third and 10-plus. Uh, and, and that's where I think guys like Calvert – um, can really come in and have an impact. You don't always have to blitz Devin Lloyd up the middle. You can bring people from all around the place. He's a guy with some experience. He'll have four years to play for. Um, and the other part about the depth that you're creating right now with the linebacker position, this allows you to spell guys. So you're going to have a lot of guys that can come in and play reps. And if you're going from playing 60 plays a game to 45 or 50, that's going to save a lot of wear and tear on guys like Devin Lloyd. And and listen, Devin Lloyd doesn't need to be in on every single first down or every single first series. Uh, you need him to be a playmaker. This allows him to save himself a little bit and be more impactful in certain situations. So I think all in all, it's a very positive move. Uh, it's one where now you're starting to be that reputation team. This is the payoff from all the effort I think that's gone into getting to the conference championship game in 2018 and 2019. Now we're starting to see it. Now we're starting to see the reputation kick in where if you go to Utah, you're going to get coached up and you're going to have an opportunity to at least prove yourself either at the program or at the next level once you leave here. So it's, it's a, both of them are great gets. There's no doubt about it. Um, there's probably some concern out there for people saying, like, well, what about scholarships? What about initials? We'll talk about that a little bit once we get to our mailbag segments, as that's been a question that's been pretty frequent about Utah fans. But this is definitely time to take a victory lap. I don't know that this necessarily impacts my thoughts on whether or not the team is going to be uh, a championship contender or, or if it's going to improve the record or anything like that. What it provides you is it provides you with a lot more depth and a lot more opportunity and versatility. And I think those are all good things. I think in a Pac-12 conference where you have so many different teams playing so many different styles, you need that flexibility, you need that versatility, and these both give you that, and they provide you with depth. And that, maybe above all else, is what you need to really get through a season in the Pac-12 is you've got to have playable depth. And I think Utah finally has that. And they did it in a way that was very fun and exciting, and I think we're all very happy about it. You know what? Else? I'm going to bet 
that Utah does pretty well next year. And I can't bet exactly what their record is yet, but it's coming up. And when that bet does come up, it's going to be up first at betonline.ag because betonline.ag is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Everything's going on right now. You've got PGA Championships. I hope you put some money down on our man Tony Finau. Uh, big supporter of the Utes, big supporter of Locked On Podcasts, maybe? I don't know. If you're listening, Tony, shout out, bro. We got you. Uh, you can get all your latest news, odds, and info for whatever sport it is that you follow. You can place your bets there. They have futures for who's going to win the conference. Again, I mentioned the other day that Utah had a plus 1,000 is a tasty beverage. That's someone that I would take a drink from. So go to bet online right now. You can use your laptop or mobile device to get all your great sporting news and Get signed up. It's super easy to do that. When you make your first deposit, you're going to get a 50% welcome bonus by using the promo code Locked On. Again, a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So if you put in $1,000, you get an extra $500 where you can put it on the Utes to win the conference, and then you'll make lots more money, and then you'll be happy, and then you'll buy me chicken sandwiches, right? Right? Because I'm giving you these tips because I gave you the bonus. Promo code Locked On. Listen, just go get it done. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Back here for another segment on the Locked On Youth Podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network, and we are going to talk about mailbags. What mailbag should you be buying? Which mailbag can compete for a Pac-12 championship? No, we're not going to talk about that. We're going to read your mailbag. Oh, that makes more sense, Brown Bear. You're getting real silly with it today. Listen, it's it's been a week, and uh, you know, last last week on Friday, I was getting ready to go play golf at the Utah Social Open, and I'm not this week, and that's kind of a bummer. So we're trying to have some fun with the pod today. I apologize if it gets a little too loose, but you get two transfer portal commitments in me, and uh, have these boys running all whimly nimbly through the trees, and no telling what's going to happen with the brown bear. So let's let's get to some questions. Our good friend and very frequent question asker listener at Red SLC ten twelve asks, "Why would anyone want to play at Utah when there is a perfectly good private G five institution that hasn't done anything relevant since the eighties, forty miles down the road?" And this goes back to a little bit of a Twitter uh, back and forth. Maybe we'll call it that. Um, a question was posed by a notable BYU fan, uh, Wave Wheat, uh, or, or something like that. Um, hops? Uh, barley? Grain? Whatever. Um, just kidding. Shout out to Joe Wheat. Said, I don't understand. I'm paraphrasing. I don't understand why anyone would want to, like, why a wide receiver would ever want to go play at the University of Utah. And I know that this is more of a, a joke from our friend Red SLC. He's got a question as well. But I kind of want to break this down a little bit because it's starting to piss me off. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest and I'm going to be upfront about it. It's starting to get really, really annoying that we start saying these things, okay? Number one, where else is Theo Howard going to go? Is he going to go to Alabama? Is he going to go to Clemson? No, they've got guys there. Is he a talented wide receiver? Sure. Is he the best wide receiver ever in the history of the game? Absolutely not. But where else is he going to go? Is he going to go to Colorado State? Is he going to go to Texas Tech? Who wants to go play in Lubbock? Okay, That's not a program that's on the rise. That's not a program that's competing for a conference championship. That's not a program that's continually pumping players into the NFL outside of one year where they didn't send anybody because there was no one eligible. 
So we keep coming across these kinds of, well, I don't know why you would want to do this. And I don't know why you want to do that. At some point, these guys got to make decisions, right? Like, like you can't continue to go wherever you want and do whatever you want to do. I see it all the time with trade talk, and it just frustrates me to know it. Well, I don't understand why they didn't make a move. Well, that's probably because both parties have to be interested in, in it for it to happen. I don't know why the Lakers just didn't trade LeBron to the Jazz for a second-round pick. Well, probably because the Lakers don't want to do that. Probably because Rob Polinka likes his job. Probably likes the, all the extra perks he gets in L.A. People actually know who he is outside of just the random really deep sports fan and, and people who follow sports agents, right? There's a lot of prestige that comes with it. And it's the same thing for Theo Howard. Like, he's coming to Utah. It's a great place. It's a great campus. It's a great school. You're going to a program where you're going to get developed. You're going to get coached up. And, yeah, maybe they have had some issues with the passing game. But we got to stop saying that it's all Kyle Whittingham's fault. He's micromanaging the offense, blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of different reasons it hasn't worked out. You've lost six offensive linemen over a two-year span to medical retirements. That's a massive impact on your depth. Now they've tried to backfill it a lot with some projects. Hasn't always worked out perfectly, but they've had a few injuries along the way that's impacted them as well. They've had to do a lot of shuffling. Yeah, they had a quarterback, you know, outside of Tyler Huntley. Tyler Huntley wasn't able to stay healthy all but one season for the entire year. And boy, let me tell you, that one season he was healthy, he was pretty darn good. So at some point, we've got to stop pointing at at every little tiny blip on the radar and thinking to yourself, oh, well, we can't go down that road. Can't, you know, there's a stone in the middle of the road. I can't drive over it, even though the stone is the size of a thumb, you know? So, and this isn't me just going off on a certain Twitter question. What it is, is it's this culture of doubt that we're creating. And I know that this is a very, very long uh, answer for a very simple jokey question, but it, it's something that I'm super upset about and passionate about, especially with this University of Utah team and this University of Utah athletic department. Like they had done so much in 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 to to really blow this thing up and make it great. So we got to stop nitpicking on on the tiniest little things. Now I'm not saying that we can't ask questions. You can absolutely question things. What are you going to do about linebacker depth? Well, somebody's probably going to leave. Okay, number one, number two, or you're gonna find another place for people to play, and and that's gonna be that's this that's the age that we're living in in college football, with the transfer portal being what it is, with the one-time waiver being what it is. Guys are gonna rethink decisions, and Utah's gonna continue to build the program through the portal. And if you can't cut it, you're gonna use the portal to your advantage and go somewhere where you can. You know, Jordan Fogle a few years ago did a great job for the University of Utah and wasn't gonna have a a chance to come back and start. So what did he do? He went to Colorado State. He was great. He was a captain. He did some phenomenal things for him. It was a great opportunity. Not everything is going to like blow up and become a disaster just because it doesn't go the way that we all planned it. So that was, I saw that question and I tried to take everything in stride, but man, it really bugged me. Um, we uh, just, and, and this is not me yelling at our, our listeners or anything like that. You guys are all great. I think you're on my team with this one. So it's just, Rivalries, man. Gotta love them. Anyways, getting back to his other question. A bunch of transfers in and I thought we were out of initials. I assume many are pushed forward. Is the next recruiting class going to be tiny? Question mark. So, great question. Uh, no, they're not pushed forwards. They are part of the 2022 recruiting class. A push forward is, well, uh, so I mean, I guess technically it's a push forward. But because they are in the summer aspect of, of, of the year, 
it's technically part of the new academic calendar once they get enrolled in the fall. And, and that's how we measure everything when it comes to when do initials start and when do initials end. Now, remember, Utah did have one extra initial from Veltre Jefferson uh, deciding to opt out of his letter of intent. So there's a possibility that there is one player that could have used uh, an initial, whether it's Howard or whatever, and that initial carried over. But as of right now, Utah still has a fair amount of initials. And now what's going to happen with the initials is going to be a little bit different because this 2022 class is going to be smaller. So you're only going to go after 12 to 15 players max anyways because of the number of guys that you're going to be carrying over because of the COVID uh, eligibility freeze. So that leaves you with, you get 25 initials for every recruiting year. So if you're going to sign 12 or 13 high school kids, that leaves you with, 12 to 13 initials that you're just going to leave dangling out there. The plan, from what I understand with the NCAA, is to make it a two-year situation. So you'll actually have 50 initials to use over those two years so that you can smooth everything out with your your scholarship numbers in 2022. And then if you need to, you can load up in 2023. Now, the exceptions and everything like that that they're going to come up with, that's going to be stuff that we'll likely have to find out down the road because there's still so much about this that I'm just not sure – Anybody really knows how it's going to break down. I mean, how many guys are going to want to keep staying on scholarship even though they might have the extra year? That's a, that's an intriguing question. How are programs going to pay for it? Are you going to make concessions? Because there are technical rules on the book where if you stay within a program for three years, you can put a guy on scholarship, but it doesn't count towards the 85 total. So there are those little nuances in the rule book that people don't always talk about or know about. And, and that's where it gets super complicated. There's a reason why all these athletic departments have like 10 member compliance teams. And there's also a reason why those compliance people are usually great drinking companions, uh, which I steal from Stephen Godry, but it, but it is very true because there's so many weird circumstances and stories that come up with compliance. Uh, it's also a very, very difficult business and, and very demanding. And there's a lot that's asked of you. I, I've known friends that have worked in compliance and left and uh, it, it's there. It's a big job. So there's a reason why they have all those programs and everything. There's a reason why they have compliance departments to keep all this stuff in line. But I'm just not sure that we really know any of that yet. And while things in our daily lives are returning to normal and also in the football program are returning to normal, those aspects of it, I think, are going to be figured out more down the road. I wouldn't be surprised to see guys just leave voluntarily. Uh, playing football is great, but it's also a very taxing sport. And if you have opportunities to move on and go do things, you know, that, that can be very tempting sometimes. I, I had an extra year to play football and I actually turned it down at that point. I was 25 and I wasn't, I wasn't on scholarship. So like it was a little different in my circumstance, but, um, yeah, like it just, it, it weighs heavily on you after a point if you're not getting paid or, or going in a different direction with it. So. The other, the other sad fact about it is there's probably going to be a lot of guys that leave the program through the portal. Um, I don't know how many, but again, these are all things that will start to kind of clarify themselves as we get through the season in the fall, and there's a better understanding of who can stick and who can, who can last and, and who probably needs to move on. And I'll move on to my next couple of questions right after we talk about Bill Bar. I went to the grocery store the other day to pick up some emergency Bill Bars because I ordered my mom couple boxes of them they didn't get here yet and i needed to create some favor with my mom she's just the best moms are amazing like moms 
I see women out here pushing strollers and, and talking on the phone and uh, building uh, skyscrapers all while holding a baby, you know, on their hip. Like, moms are incredible. And we had a Mother's Day coming up, and I bet your mom was probably like, man, I got some jewelry, but what I really wanted was some built Bars. It's a perfect time to go to Built Bar right now. They've got the birthday cake Built Bar on there. It's white chocolate sprinkles. It's a very tasty, sweet flavor if that's your bag. If you don't like that, there's plenty of other flavor options on the website that you can go and check out. They have all the different sorts of varieties and new flavors pop up from time to time that you can keep an eye on, either via social media or go to the website. Uh, you know the, the spiel. They're the best tasting protein bars on the planet they come with up to 20 grams of whey protein per bar depending on the flavor less than 200 calories less than five grams of sugar use real chocolate when they make them even though white chocolate isn't actually chocolate it's confectioner sweetening i don't know somebody out there knows what i'm trying to say here better than me outside of the fact that i am a built bar fanatic and and this is not a pitch this is just I've always been a guy who eats protein bars. I try to eat as much protein as I can. I have a big body. It needs a lot of protein. Built Bar is a great way to bridge the gap if you're hungry. It's a great way to supplement your diet if you're really into sweets. Or it's a great way to just reward yourself if you want to eat something really delicious. So go to BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code LOCK15. Get 15% off your next order. Make your mom happy. Make your wife happy. Make your girlfriend happy. Make your stomach happy and get yourself some built bars so that we can all get out there, get fit, and get built. All right, like the new podcast with Shea Serrano and, and Brandon Jenkins, we are no skips when it comes to these questions. So let's jump right back into it. At Corey Cheech says, in your opinion, whoever is on, uh, I'm... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's always a crapshoot, isn't it, Corey? <laughs> What's the most memorable comeback Utah Utes football victory? Also, for the U, uh, let's start with that one first. For me, it is the Utah versus Air Force uh, game where Mike Fouts had just bombed all game long, threw a deep ball to, I believe it was Kevin Dyson to go ahead. It may have been Brian Rowley. I, it's, now the details are getting fuzzy, but basically I was – in the stands, and a buddy of mine said, we should go. This game is over because they were down two scores with, like, two minutes left. Scored the first touchdown. Somehow managed to get the onside kick. Mike Fouts gets in the huddle, tells Kevin Dyson to get on his horse, bombs it out, and Utah somehow managed to beat Air Force down two scores in the last two minutes. And it was just the most incredible game. The stands were empty. Uh, people had just basically given up. And that was a very incredible win. Now, I think others would likely say either the comeback against TCU or the comeback against Oregon State in 2008 were it. There's also a very, very convincing discussion for the comeback against BYU, the uh, the Shelley-TJ Green revenge game, where the Utes didn't score at all. They'd already locked up, I believe, their trip to the Pac-12 championship by that point. And so this game was kind of, I don't want to say meaningless, but it didn't have the same kind of buzz. Utah came out flat, gave spotted BYU a monster lead, uh, and then came back to win it 35-27. to It is the largest deficit overcome for either team in the Holy War series. Uh, and that, I was there that night in the stadium. That thing was electric. That was 2018. So there's another good one, you know, another good uh, comeback victory. There's a lot out there. Um, 
you know, there's a couple good comeback losses. <laughs> uh, the 19, I believe, is 92 Copper Bowl, Wiser Lock Copper Bowl. That was kind of a fun one, too. Uh, Utah came back against Washington State. That was when Drew Bledsoe was at Washington State. Um, lost that one 31-28. to Frank Dolce uh, leading the Utes in that direction. But for me, it's definitely the Utah versus Air Force game. Um, I, I'll see if I can hunt down some footage of that one tomorrow. Also, for the U from Klavikov's opening press conference, he said football and basketball is where the money is. Do you know if gymnastics does that for the U as well? Good question. So gymnastics is probably the most followed sport outside of football and men's basketball, but I think at times it's probably been debatable. Uh, one of the reasons why is that gymnastics has always been a free-to-attend event. Now, I'm sure there are some fundraising things that they do and whatnot, um, but it's not a revenue-generating sport in the sense that football and basketball are. Uh, those sports generate revenue to cover every sport in the uh, athletic department. So while gymnastics may generate some it doesn't generate enough. It might barely generate enough to break even, uh, which is beneficial. But I think programs like gymnastics are the ones that might benefit the most from the NLI rule change where name, uh, image, and likeness, or NIL, I should say, uh, because that allows the gymnasts to go out and get deals to secure uh, you know, an income. And, and I think that there's likely a market for that kind of thing it does seem like women's sports become much much more popular uh to sponsor and and who knows what a gymnast might be able to go out and secure so i the, i always felt like the non-revenue sports needed something like that to help them get an advantage and this now the university is not going to take any of the nil stuff but um I, there could be and this is why the the whole situation is so dumb on the part of the NCAA because you could have a service or an, a quote-unquote agent within the university athletic department that could negotiate those deals for uh, the, the gymnasts and they could take a percentage off of it that could help fund the program. I don't know. The, the whole scenario and, and how we're dealing with college sports right now is very backwards um, and not well thought out, and they need to make some changes because one way or another, things are going to go in this direction. I think we're already starting to see it with college basketball, and the more guys start to go to the G League ahead of going to college basketball and playing, that could have bigger consequences down the road too. If it ever comes to the point where there's a football league that allows young guys to start coming and competing, and there have been a few people that have attempted it, it's just it's really expensive. Uh, but if that ever does happen, I mean, look out or, you know, there's not really a regulating body in football to keep everybody in line. It's just more that they have TV agreements. And if that ever decided to change and they wanted to do a Super League setup, Jake and I have talked about this a bit. If that ever happened, it could be really catastrophic for a lot of uh, programs. So there's a lot that they're going to have to figure out with that. And I think that's one advantage that the NIL rule change could have. Uh, if they were to do it right, I just, you know, like everybody else, I don't really know if I trust the NCAA to do it right. All right, last question for today's episode comes from our good friend at T underscore Ricks 96. He asks, how much can we contribute the last two football transfer commits to the new interconference transfer policy? Uh, I believe when he 
tweeted this out, it, it was still just uh, Theo Howard and uh, the safety from Washington. At that point in time, we also added uh, uh, Josh Calvert. Um, it, it, that's a good question. Brandon McKinney. So Brandon McKinney, Josh Calvert, both interconference transfers. Uh, Theo Howard is not considered one because he's technically transferring from Oklahoma, but he did play in the Pac-12 at UCLA. And I do think that the rule probably has some impact, but I think it's the problem always was is while the rule was on the books, there was no school that was actually going to enforce it unless they're just absolute a-holes because the blowback would be too much and it just causes way too much negative recruiting on the on the trail. So most schools kind of gave the approval anyways. Uh, I think back in the day, Utah used to release guys to go look around for schools and say anybody but conference opponents and BYU at one point in time, but they kind of stopped doing that because of the same reason. And it just, the other part of it too, is it's just, it's one of those rules that probably should have been done away with a long, long time ago. Um, I don't think it's the worst to have guys transferring within the conference. You know, like you lose uh, Brian Thompson to Arizona state and go get Theo Howard Uh, finders keepers or, you know, another man's treasure or another man's trash is one man's treasure. Uh, clearly I'm doing a good job with my, um, conversation pieces right now, but, uh, I I think it probably just removes one hurdle and makes it just that much easier, but we're getting to the point where there's going to be some kind of free agency and, and what's happening with the transfer portal right now, mark my words, it's going to change college football drastically, uh, one way or another, it's either going to push the sport into a better direction or, uh, really cause a lot of headaches. We'll, we'll find out. Uh, he follows that up with, if not at all, do you see this new policy helping keep talent out west into the near fu- into the future? I do, simply because maybe not keeping talent out west, but getting it back possibly. Um, it, it's just the difficulty, and I think we're seeing it a lot this year, particularly with kids that committed to schools sort of blind, not knowing what they're getting into. That really has caused a lot of players to want to go back home or go close to home. And I think eliminating that policy likely allows them to do that in a much more frequent clip. Um, I just I don't see it being a detriment that much I'm, I'm sure of. So it's, again, it's something that probably should have been done forever ago. Uh, but I definitely think that it's something that's influencing guys. I think the biggest thing that will influence players to staying out west, though, is is just winning and competing in the college football playoff. But maybe I'm just naive. Who knows? Thank you, thank you, thank you, everybody who submitted questions for us. It was a really fun show with a lot of fun questions. Uh, it makes it makes it more fun for me when I get to interact with you guys via uh, those questions in the microphone. So keep them coming whenever whenever you want. I'll always answer questions. Uh, this has been a super long show, long segment, but I appreciate you all hanging in there with me. Uh, this is your Friday edition of the Locked on Youth podcast. Remember to be well, stay well, do well. We love you. It's always a great day to be a youth, uh, but, you know, some Fridays are better than others. So uh, take care of yourselves. We'll be back on Monday with more of the Locked on Youth podcast here on the Locked on Podcast Network. We'll keep the light on for you. You just make sure you keep your stick on the ice. <laughs>